as I said before the meditation, I want to talk tonight about practicing with the body, which is a really important, uh, it's a really important practice that we sometimes don't spend a lot of time on um, really thinking about. We do it when we practice, because breath and body meditation is, are the two primary practices that we're taught in inside the Prasana meditation. But really reflecting on the body is, uh, I think, something that's very important. I was talking to somebody a few days ago about this, and I suggested she start doing a body scan listening to a body scan meditation to begin to reconnect with her experience. Because as a culture, we're very disconnected from our, our physical experience in many, many ways. Um, and it's important. And then I, uh, I read this quote. Um, I, I, got, I uh, get an uh, email, the newsletter from Irina Weissman, some of you know who she is. She's a teacher. She lives out. She lives out at this uh, retreat center in the desert, Damadina. But uh, she's a used to be based in Northern California, and she's a student of Ruth Dennison, who is a, one of the first um, female teachers uh, in um, in our Western lineage. She's a German woman who went to Burma and studied with this teacher Uba Kin, who really focused on the physical experience. And so Ruth was very focused on the physical. And when I was working with Arena, she really headed me in that direction. And once I started bringing that into my practice, it was a profound uh, shift and a profound change in how I experienced things. So I think it's important for us to look at. And and, um, the reason I mentioned that newsletter is there was a quote, there was one woman was talking about Ruth, and there was a quote from Ruth, and it says, cherish the body as a vehicle for purification of the mind. Practicing the guidelines of the Buddha, we will be able to live more at ease with ourselves and the world around us. If we cherish the body as a way to connect and, and disentangle from these conditioned uh, habits of the mind, so it's a path to freedom. It's, it's an important path. If you look at it, it's like the majority of you is the body. And so I wanted to talk about that today. It's uh, Donald Rothberg, who is a teacher up at Spirit Rock, talks about this. And he says that this connection, this practicing with the body is really important. And it helps us. Um, it's a powerful tool for developing mindfulness and presence, and compassion, and wisdom in daily life. That's huge. That's kind of like it. Wisdom, and presence, mindfulness, compassion. I think that's like the top four. Uh, and, and really connecting with that is, is so important. And he says it helps our practice come alive in daily life. And, and that's been my experience. And we can, we can reconnect with our bodies. It's really um, quite profound. When we can integrate the heart and the mind and the body. And in, in Buddhist teaching, in, in this tradition, heart-mind is not disconnected. We've disconnected it in, in, um, Western, in Western philosophy, psychology, thinking, um, 
we've disconnected the heart and the mind. There's the mind and then there's the heart. You know, you should think more with your mind and less with your heart. Whereas in this culture, they're actually the same. And so you want to have a heart and a mind that are wise and compassionate, that they're not necessarily working at odds, but they're working together. And we, what we get from that is connection. When you are attuned to your mind and your heart, and they're working as one in your body, there is this ability to be connected with others. That's almost inexplicable. Have you ever been anywhere where you just feel really connected to others? It's not because you're thinking about it. I'm going to think my way into a connection. That never works in relationships either, um, if you think about it. There's got to be a, a place of vulnerability, a place of compassion, a place of, of dropping from the head to the heart in order to have that connection. And connection is one of the prime things we need in our lives to survive. There's food, there's nourishment. Well, that's the same, isn't it? There's food, there's shelter, and there's connection. It's really important. It's really important. So this connection, this, this cultivation of a, a body awareness is incredibly important. The body is a source of wisdom. It's a link to, as I said, a link to compassion in the heart. And when we talk about it as a source of wisdom, I mean by that, if you are connected to your physical experience, you are able to connect to your emotional life in a way that many times you can't when you're just operating on the mind level. In the, in, in the meditation instructions, I was saying, see if you can be aware of any emotions that might be there. Sadness, happiness, joy, fear, frustration, whatever. And can you find it a, a physical experience of it in your body? Where does anger show up for you or happiness or joy? And if some of you are students of George Haas, he talks about sadness in his tricep. I mean, he's that, he's that attuned to where his emotions show up. So when you can um, uh, begin to tune into this, then you can begin to see what's driving you sometimes. Like if you're talking to someone and you feel that anger arising, you're aware then that there's anger arising. And you may not, you, you can hopefully choose not to react from anger. Whereas if you're not aware, it's still there, but you're not aware of it, you might react in a totally different way than if you're aware of it. Yay, now I can see everyone. Thank you. Um, Um, so there's this ability to when we can connect with our emotions then we can have a wise response we can get to a place of equanimity we may not be happy about our experience we may not want to have these things we may not want to be angry or we might not want to be happy you ever get to a place of like no I'm pissed off 
<laughs> Don't make me laugh. So it works both ways. It works both ways. Uh, but we have to be attuned to that. We have to be attuned to that. And as a culture, we're really good at not, because we're taught to. We're taught culturally, we're taught through our family, we're taught in many ways that um, certain emotions are okay, certain emotions are not okay. Um, but the body is also incredibly important for mindfulness. It's a way to um, get us out of our trance. Uh, Tara Brock talks, talks about we're, we, we're caught in a trance, a trance of craving and a trance of aversion. And we, we're caught in our mind. And we let the mind run us all the time. And when we are able to connect through our body, we can come back to um, right here, right now, like feeling our feet on the floor. That's a way to um, stop this, this, this freight train that's just running amok. I used to, when I was just kind of going, blah, 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 getting into this place, I would just put my hand in front of my face. It was a physical barrier. It was like a physical stop. You ever get caught up in those places where you're just, your head's just on this, it's like that snowball going downhill. Stop. Oh. Feel your, feel your chair. A lot of people, people who start getting into panic attacks, that's a lot of it's in the mind. And when you come into the body and go feel your heart and your chest, feel your hands, you start breaking it down into its individual pieces. So it's not this big mass that's out of control. You can kind of come into a, a, another way of looking at it, another way of experiencing it, which is, which, um, uh, is, is helpful which kind of um, softens the, the harshness or, or um, tamps down the, what's going on. Um, yeah, where are your feet? Where are your feet? That's a, that's a real helpful one for me, or that. So in the, in the, in the Buddha's teaching on um, mindfulness, he, in, the first, uh, found, in the first foundation of mindfulness, there's breath and body awareness, and there's a lot of practices in there around that. We did one this afternoon. It's breathing. Know you're breathing in. Know you're breathing out. Know you're sitting. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel your hands. Feel your clothes. There's a whole bunch more. There's about 14 of these uh, in, the, in, the, in the sutta. Um, some of them are uh, we never do. Like, how many of you have gone to a charnel ground and watched bodies disintegrate? See, I knew it. Nobody does that one. Well, it's not really easy. I lied. I'm sorry. I missed that. Where'd you do that? In Nepal. Yeah, not probably in, in L.A. I think that's illegal. But you can watch, like, if you ever come across a, 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 a corpse of, a, of a, some animal, you know, in your garage or in your... your under your sink or something, there's a little mouse or some sad little thing that got caught. Um, we begin to see how things disintegrate. And um, it's quite, it's quite eye-opening and quite sobering. And it's a, it's a, brings us into a connection with our humanity. Because we have this, this thing in our mind that, um, you know, this, there's all these things that our mind does neurologically there's the negativity bias where we're focused on what what the problem is 
And yet there's also the, the idea that it's all going to work out. I'm actually probably immortal. Not that we say that in so many words, but the mind believes that. And so to really reflect on your death and dying is a powerful tool. And do a, we do a year to live practice. And we're in the middle of one right now. I'm facilitating and they're going to they're gonna die in April. Um, so they just got, I think they've got less than 100 days left. And to all of a sudden come to this awareness of like, oh, I'm going to die in three months. Not really, but we are all going to die. It's like, I get a lot of comments when I do the class. It's like, well, you know, it's not like we're really going to die. It's like, you think that, you know? Yes, you are going to die. It just may not be on April 29th. Maybe you'll die sooner. Not to be a downer, but this, uh, <laughs> the reality of this, 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 but this is a, is a, it brings us into a different relationship with our experience with our body. So there's a whole bunch of those in, in there um, in, the, in the mindfulness practice. There's also a way to reconnect with your body through more energetic practices like um, Qigong or Tai Chi, no, tai, Taekwondo, Tai Chi, which, whichever one is the song, Tai Chi, yeah. Yoga, you know, because you're, you're connecting your body and your mind. You're reconnecting your body and your mind. Like, I, I do yoga, and I've noticed that in balance poses, when I'm paying attention, I'm doing them. When I'm not paying attention, with my mind wanders, I fall over. That is in your face, teaching you that you have to pay attention. It's really, it's really extraordinary. Um, so. Another thing to do is... Uh, a practice that's really wise, really important, and most of us don't do it. When you're listening to someone else or when you're listening to anyone, can you stay 80% in your body and 20% just hearing them? It's, a, it's kind of a, a, an odd type of, um, odd type of uh, practice, but it's really important. If you can come back into your body then you can be aware of what's arising when it's arising. And that, that fosters that wisdom, that fosters that awareness of, oh, this person's saying these things and this emotion is arising. Boredom, fear, whatever. And again, so then you don't react, you respond. So you're aware of, of what's happening. It's, it's quite extraordinary. See if you can do it while I'm talking. Just really come into your bodies and have a full body experience. Really fill your body fully. Not all of us can do it because we're not trained to do it. We're not taught to do it. Um, keeping this full body awareness. We're, we're just this neck up. And by neck, I mean brain. Just brain up. And this is this, these attitudes towards the body, which is an important piece of this, is um, the attitudes we have about the body are, as I mentioned, cultural, familial, um, and they're handed down generationally. From, in, our, in our Western world, um, Western Europe, the United States, um, uh, we have this idea, and this, I think, evolved 
during, um, you know, several hundred years ago during the Age of Enlightenment, where reason became the master, where it was like all this explosion of scientific discovery um, and uh, religion was kind of pushed to the side a little bit or started falling out of favor as science started coming in. It was also the age of colonialism. I think they call it the age of discovery, but I think it's appropriately the age of colonialism, uh, where these explorers went to other countries around the world and determined that these people that they found indigenous people obviously were not as advanced because they didn't have the same um, um, things. Therefore, they were uh, uh, probably lesser because they were more reliant on their heart or their instincts and less reliant on their mind. So there became this split between the mind and the emotions or the mind and the heart, which is the ramifications are, are we're still feeling that today. You know, the body, the body, the reliance on the body or that type of thing is seen as um, not as advanced, not as evolved as the reliance on science and the mind and reason. And um, in many religions, and, and it fuels so much of our culture, I'm talking primarily Western Europe, U.S., uh, the body is seen in a negative way. The body is seen as the root of many problems. There's, uh, there's sin in there. There's, uh, you know, certain bodies are less than if you're of a certain color or a certain shape or a certain whatever, you are not worthy. That's how people enslaved other people. Oh, you don't fit these criteria, therefore we don't have to treat you as fully human beings. We can treat you as subpar. Those ramifications are still felt to this day, this splitting off. And a lot of it has to do with this, this colonial and this idea that the mind, the rational, the rational being is more powerful, is more important than the, than the, the heart being, um, so to speak. So it's philosophical, but it's, it's, it's impactful. The ramifications are huge. And, and I wrote down here, um, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. It was all about the mind. I think, therefore I am. And I also heard that the Buddhist response is, I am, therefore I think. You know, so it, it flips it around. So um, these models get, get mapped into all, all kinds of things, that men are the reasoning creatures and women are more the instinctual heart creatures, therefore men need to take preeminence. Um, indigenous or darker skinned people are more connected with the body, so that's, um, you know, the, the whites are more uh, uh, evolved. And so, so when you get the point of making, we are still experiencing that. So you have a Women's March t shirt on. I mean, yeah, it's like this is still happening. <laughs> like, no, 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 um, no surprise there. And we're all trapped by it. We're all trapped by it. So to recognize our attitudes towards our own bodies. And I love the question Donald Rothberg asks. He says, um, you know, he says, was anyone, is anyone here as a teenager have a shame or concern about their body? 
especially when we're a teenager, because it's such an awkward age. And so often that stuff carries with us. You know, I had a terrible self-image as, as growing up as a child, which carries with me to this day. You know, even though intellectually you know it's false, otherwise it's still, it's still carried in cellularly. So how, how are those attitudes that developed, those stories you were told or that you told yourself, the shame that was brought up, the negativity, um, this residue from our conditioning? Other attitudes about bodies around aging. It's it's another, oh, should I dye my hair? Should I not? Should I tell you all I'm 63? I can sing that Beatles song because I'll be 64 in April when I'm 64. (laughs) But how many people do that? How many people tell you? I was I used to work with a woman. We were born the exact same day. We were like a couple hours apart. She would never tell anyone her age. And I'm like, I would tell everyone our age. And she'd be like, you can't do that. And I'm like, (laughs) it's okay. You know, but we're told all these things about our bodies. It's really important to recognize how these attitudes, you know, make it difficult for us to connect to our body because there is shame. There is discomfort. So to investigators see that in ourselves. There's this Facebook thing. That they with the ten year challenge, you know what did they say? How is the aging smacked you? I can't remember the thing, but it was like it was it wasn't in a in a in a positive way. It was a perjurative way, you know. How has aging demolished you? Fuck you. I was at the gym last week. I joined a new gym in my neighborhood, and they give you a free training session. And so I'm with the trainer, and of course the mirror is like as big as this wall, right? And I'm standing there, and I'm doing these things, with, and I'm looking at my arms going, oh, look at those arms. <laughs> and I can either wear long sleeves because I'm embarrassed or say, fuck it. And I'm like embarrassed and saying, fuck it anyway, you know? You act as if. So recognizing these attitudes, which are all fabrications, They're all fabrications. Not that we have come up with, but that have been put on us. What is that quote I read a few weeks ago? Um, I can't remember. It was Emily McDowell, I think, talking about who we, we... We don't have to find ourselves, but we have to recognize who we are, who we were before the world got its hands on us before we bought into the stories and the scenarios that are floating out there about us, whatever, whatever we are, whoever we look, whatever we look like, whatever, that make us suffer and make us uncomfortable in our own skin. So to connect with this teaching and to be able to turn towards ourselves, we have to really examine these attitudes and how painful they can be and how much shame there is, and really begin to cultivate some compassion towards ourselves. Who in here has had difficulty doing loving-kindness practice for themselves? Yeah, a few people. Yeah. Because we're unworthy, not deserving, for whatever reason. 
fabrication, made up bullshit. Everyone is worthy of love and kindness and compassion. Everyone. So when you struggle, intellectually see if you can know that that's bullshit. That that's not true. It's just negativity. That's this, this generational, cultural, familial messaging that we've internalized. And that causes so much suffering. And keeps us from connecting with our bodies, practicing with our physical experience. It's really important. We have to reflect and examine be mindful, see what's there, and look out for the story. So what are, and here's the question I ask you, what are your own attitudes about your body that are strong right now? See if you can identify your top three. You're too tall, you're too short, you're too, too old, you're too young, you're too, you're too thin, you're too fat, you're too this, you're too that. You're too light, you're too dark, your hair's the wrong texture, your hair's the wrong color. You notice there's never any positivity there. <clears throat> Do you love your eyes? No, my eyes don't. They're, no, they're. It's like somebody told me to get eye surgery. Because my eyes, my eyes go like this. I mean, they don't go like this, but they, they, they tend to go down at the edges. And I'm like, screw you, those are my father's eyes. I'm like, what's wrong? You know, we're like, no, you know you'd be better if. You'd be better if. And some people feel comfortable doing that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong against it, but I think we need to be really clear about um, our experience and what drives us to do the things we do so that we're doing it because we, we would like to, because it brings us joy, because it brings us pleasure, not because we're craving um, something that will bring us happiness. The happiness doesn't come from out there. Happiness comes from in here and being able to be okay and at ease with what is, regardless of whether it matches the story that we have been told, that we've internalized. So, um, you know, what we do is work with loving kindness. We work with compassion towards our bodies towards our body. So having a body is challenging. Having a body is really challenging. Can we cultivate gratitude for what it does for us? It gets us around. Lots of times it gets us from point A to point B. For many people it doesn't. So you, you know, I, when, when people would talk about cultivating gratitude around your body, you know, you woke up this morning, you know, you all see the mind tends to go to, at least mine does, I won't generalize, my mind would go to, that's so lame. That doesn't count. It's like, what? What? It doesn't count? It's like, yeah, it counts. Yeah, it counts. Did you have a question? So, really a cultivation of compassion for our suffering around this, the recognition of the, the suffering that happens and then bringing kindness and compassion to ourselves is so important. That's a way that we can begin to soften to the reality of our existence, soften to who we actually are. 
and watch the judging voices, the judging voices about the clothes you wear. Oh, do am I wearing the right clothes? Am I going to fit in? Da 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 da. Doesn't matter. That's incredibly liberating. It's incredibly liberating and very challenging. So when we be as we move in this direction, we also cultivate this awareness of what's happening in the body, what's arising, letting go of the story and turning towards the actual experience that's happening. That's what comes with um, when we have some time for practice, when we allow ourselves to really sink in, like spending a day or, or a, a retreat or really some extended periods, really donating ourselves, giving ourselves this time to drop below the storyline. The storyline's always going to be there. It's our choice to listen to it or not. And that's what we're doing in meditation. We're practicing. We're practicing. Well, actually, we're, I love this uh, Venerable Panavati said it this way. She said, we're training and when we go out there is when we actually practice it. You know, we're training ourselves when we meditate to be still with our experience, even when it's difficult, especially when it's difficult. Whatever that difficulty may be, each of us has, has something that's difficult for them. Not all of us experience everything is difficult or not difficult. So finding what's difficult for us and staying with it, staying with it. Even when we cry, even when it's painful, staying with it, dropping out of the story and turning towards those, those, those things that we hide from ourselves. The anger that we were told we're not allowed to feel. The sadness that always being on the outside because we've been ostracized or whatever it is, because we don't do what other people think we should. Really make the effort to hold that feeling and bring some kindness and compassion to it. So important. That's the um, path to liberation. What did we say? Cherish our body as a vehicle for the purification of the mind. You know, practicing the guidelines of the Buddha, we will be able to live more at ease with ourselves and the world around us. He said to be with what is without needing it to be different, recognizing that there is pain, there is sadness, there is grief, there is loss. It doesn't get good if we do it right all the time. Doing, doing it right all the time is impossible. I mean, being perfectionism is impossible. Can you be with what is? Um, how do you do it? Practice. Breath and body. You know, kindness, compassion. So, any questions about this? Thoughts, comments? <clears throat> 